Well, hello, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in to Chapel Chimes Podcast. This is a podcast devoted to chiming in on what's going on in our culture, inside the church, and outside the church. Please like, subscribe, and share, and we'd love to hear from you. Now, without further ado, Chapel Chimes. Hello, folks, and welcome back once again to another edition of Chapel Chimes. We are so glad that you have uh, chosen to listen today. This is uh, Pastor Dallas Payton, Jr. I am the pastor here at Cook's Chapel Baptist Church in Pipeston, West Virginia, and we are glad that you are downloading, liking, hopefully sharing. And today I'm excited because on the podcast we're doing an interview. I have on the line with me someone who... Uh, I met here a little while back, and uh, we just, my wife and I were together. We were actually out of state and traveling and stopped off. We met this dear lady, and she just had a great story. And uh, I just, you know, on Chapel Chimes, we talk about things that we normally don't talk about in a, in a church setting. And uh, as we talked to this dear lady, we were just interested, and uh, I just want her to share her story today. You know, the Bible tells us in Psalm 90. In verse 9, that we live our lives as a tale that is told. And every person that you meet in your life, however you come across them, whether it's for a moment or two, or whether it's somebody that's your neighbor, you go to church or work with, um, the Lord has brought them across your path for a reason. And the Lord's really been putting that on my heart for the last few years, actually, that every single person is important. Everybody has a tale that is told about their life. And this dear lady, as we met her and was talking about her life, uh, was fascinating life, a fascinating tale, interesting. Now, as you hear this, you may not think so. I sure did. And I thought she had a great story. I said, hey, you got to come on the podcast. So I want to introduce you folks, and I'm gonna, I want her to begin. Her name is Crystal Bledsoe, and uh-huh. Crystal is going to talk with us today. Crystal, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Crystal, I know you know how we met, and it's been now several weeks. We've, we've kind of run into some snags here with weather and schedules, but uh-huh. we're glad that you're on Chapel Chimes. I'd just like for you to start off, and you start off wherever you want to begin. You take your time. Uh, I'll ask some questions along the way. We'll kind of wing this thing. I want people to meet you and hear the story, because it was a unique thing as you were talking to us there. Uh, in the restaurant. So you go ahead and, and you start where you want and, and have at it. Well, um, thank you for having me on here. I'm really excited. Amen. And I'm hoping uh, what I say kind of helps other people. Um, I don't really know where to begin because there's so much. Like there's like a whole novella, I guess you could say, of it. Um, but we had been talking and I had discussed with you how my mom had just passed away. I'll right. start there. And how we hadn't spoken seven years. And I had told you the reason why was because... She had become a drug addict, and drug addiction I could have forgiven, you know, um, and that would have been easy. That would have been the easy part to forgive her, you know, right. because addiction is a whole nother devil, and that's, you know, people need a lot more love on those those levels. However, um, growing up, my mom and I were constantly poverty-stricken. Um, with, my, with my mom, I was the only child, and with my dad, I was the oldest of five, but I spent more time with my mom than with my dad. 
because my stepmom wasn't very fond of having this troubled child in her home and didn't really know how to handle it. So I spent more time with my mom. It was just easier, I guess, on both households that way. And um, growing up, we were kind of in and out of shelters. We were in and out of um, houses. My mom never stayed in one place for long. I can remember several times, like, here I am, this, you know, 7 to 11-year-old girl taking showers in the rain, waiting for the rain to take a shower because we couldn't even afford a hotel room at the time. But she was living with this guy who she met when I was, like, 8 years old. And I remember the first time I saw him, um, I didn't I didn't like him. <laughs> right. I mean, I did not like the man at all from the beginning. And, you know, they say, you know, children just know things and children feel things, you know. Right. And I remember back from my six months uh, of time with my dad, got off the plane. I had gone from Great Lakes to uh, Indiana. So, of course, it was a short flight. Okay. Um, Chris, let me stop right here. Now, huh? when, when you talk about your childhood, let's back up. Because you, you're in North Carolina now. Where was this childhood? Uh, Indiana. 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 Okay. Northwest Indiana. Yeah. Okay, there we go. Cause that, I, won't, I won't say directly, but Northwest that's fine. Indiana. That's fine. Some of the people that listen to this will know the area and the churches and the people. So uh, now okay. I, I just wanted people to know where you were in the United States in, in the travel and all that thing. So, so Northwest Indiana and all right, go. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, so I had, I come off the plane when I was eight years old, my, this weird looking dude was standing uh, over my mom and I remember it like plain as day. And, um, I was really excited to see my mom until I saw this guy. And for some reason I wanted to go home back to my dad. So I turned around and started walking back on the plane. Um, and my mom come after me and she's like, you know, what's wrong? And so I told her, you know, who's that guy? I don't like him. And, you know, I had already experienced a lot because growing up, you know, when I was younger and we lived in California, which is where I was born, um, my dad and my mom, when they were together, my mom threw a lot of wild parties. And so I didn't really have a normal childhood growing up. My mom was young. She was into alcohol. She was still into drugs, which I didn't know at that time she had an issue. Um, my dad did, but he was in the Navy, so he was out to sea all the time. Dad comes home, catches mom cheating, and then, you know, they get divorced. And so we end up where we are today. And, um, so, you know, she's like, you just don't know him. And I'm like, no, I, you know, I want to hang out with you and I'll be with my mom. I don't know who this guy is. I'm scared to death and I don't know why. And I found out later on, there was a lot to be afraid of. Um, so time passes and the guy that my mom's with is, is really trying to befriend me, trying to, um, it kind of bridged that gap between, you know, here's my girlfriend and here's her daughter trying to take on the whole responsibility of, you know, I'm kind of a dad now and I want to stand in these shoes. Um, and it, it, it started pretty normal um, until it until it wasn't anymore. Um, I was probably around eight, and uh, I was still eight actually, because um, everything happens so fast. You know, when you think when you're younger, like time just moves so slowly, and it doesn't. When you think when you're older, you're like oh my gosh, that was like no time at all. You know, um, my mom lived with this man and has his mama at her house, and um, I had a room of my own at that time when we lived there. We lived we lived there at that house off and on for several years because my mom and him kept getting together, breaking up and getting together, breaking up. It was constant uh, trauma and drama either way. And so um, there was a time where I just wouldn't talk to the guy. I, I, I mean, I still, it for me, it didn't matter how, how nice he was to me or how easygoing he seemed to be with me. Deep in my heart, I felt like there was just something wrong everything seemed so dark around me. Everything seemed so sad. And I was already having a hard time because I wanted to be with my dad and didn't understand what was going on with my stepmom and why I couldn't be at my dad's. Now, how old, um, were, you, how old were you when this was going on again? I was eight years old eight when years it first old. started. Okay, all mm-hmm. right. 
Go ahead. So um, my mom had noticed that I wasn't really taking to him as well. So she did what she would do again several times. Um, and I think this was just kind of pigeonholing me. She would say, well, since you can't get along with him, I'm going to leave. And you two better be getting along by the time I get back. And here mm. I am. I'm this eight-year-old girl with this stranger. You right. know. Right. So my mom left. And um, my mom's boyfriend took advantage of me. Mm. And um, at, at eight years old. At eight years old. Mm. Yeah. And, um, it was scary. I mean, it was, it was bad, but some girls have it worse. Um, so it wasn't as bad at, it wasn't as bad as, I guess I kind of tried to, um, downplay it in my mind as it could have been at that point in time. There was a few other times later on where it did progress to more than what it was at that time. And it was pretty, pretty bad then. Um, but my mom came back and because I was afraid of him and afraid of her in some ways because it was I remember when I was younger she'd get mad and she would leave and I wouldn't see her and so I was like well if I tell her what just happened which I don't think was right you know because these are grown-ups and you're supposed to trust them you know what I mean right right and um and you don't know how to articulate it because you're young you don't know what just happened you just know that that's never happened before right and you've never seen that happen and so you're you don't know what to do as a kid you just don't know what to do you know right and so um I didn't say anything to my mom and then we <laughs> a few years passed by and this is constantly going on. It's, it's kind of things like, um, I wasn't allowed, um, I wasn't allowed to go to people's houses because the man was afraid that I would tell my mom or I would tell my friends and they would tell my mom what was going on. Um, there, it was, it was quiet. I stayed in my room a lot. I stayed with the door locked. Um, we had dogs, so I was always so happy when the dogs were in the room with me because I felt safer. Um, but when the dogs weren't in the room, there definitely was a difference. Um, and over this time, this man and my mom stayed together. Um, uh, he became a police officer. And that's where things got worse. And I think it's because there was this mentality that, well, now I'm a cop. I can do what I want and I can, I can escalate things. No one's going to believe you. No one's going to listen to you. Nobody's going to care because... I'm this person of authority. And I think in our society, we get stuck in that rut where we don't say anything because that person is of authority. So we keep our mouth shut because we're afraid of what's going to happen to us, not them. Right. You know? Right. So later on, he became a police officer and this is like not, 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 but soon after I was nine years old and, um, he attempted to rape me now before. And this is like really kind of trigger warning. Um, before it was more just touching and stuff like that. That's still grossly inappropriate either way. Um, but at this point, he had really attempted to force himself that way on me and um, only quit because he said um, that people would know what had happened because I would show signs. And he told me not to tell my mom. And so I remember that night I was acting really strange, according to my mom. Um, and I was, I was in my room, I was crying, I was freaking out. Um, I was nine and I'm like, I don't even know my dad's telephone number. So I can't call my dad and tell my dad that I want to come home. Um, my dad, I, I don't know what the deal was with my dad. Um, but my mom's boyfriend, see, we lived, we had moved to Gary by the time I was nine and, um, my mom's boyfriend and his daddy lived with us. So he was no longer living with his mom. His dad was living with us. His dad was really bad alcoholic. So he'd get really wasted and he'd come home and he'd call everybody stupid and he'd start banging on things and pushing people around. And, um, 
I think my mom and this guy that she was dating at the time got into it, you know, and so he pulled a gun on her and threatened her and she kind of just backed down from everything at that point on. And this would be like a recurring thing until finally he would pull a gun on me and I would be 11 years old at the time. Wow. So yeah, it was, it's, it was kind of very traumatizing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And so later on, um, I can go through like the years, like when I was 10, we moved to California because I guess my mom had finally had enough and you wouldn't believe how much just went on of this and, you know, in a house, out of a house and a hotel room, live in, in the car, live in, like it was total chaos all the time. I switched like three times one year. Now, do you think my mom, go ahead. I'm sorry. Right, you, you get ready to answer that. I think you're getting ready to answer what I was going to ask you. Do you, do you think it was because of your mom substance abuse what 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 do you attribute the uh, what chaos? I guess you'd you would say. I think so. By then, my mom wasn't drinking as much as she was trying to be more involved in the community. And the more that she tried to insert her independence or her new reality, you know, that he would fight harder against it. And so the relationship just became volatile at that point. So I think the in and out was he wouldn't let her work. We couldn't, you know, but he wouldn't work either. I mean, he might have been a police officer, but he wasn't making enough money. I think this was a control tactic um, so that we would have to follow him around and he would become that person that we, we relied on 100% completely, you know. Right. Um, it, this nomadic kind of thing. And then it was, I don't want to be with him. I want to be with him. I don't want to be with him. I want to be with him. I don't want to be with him. And so I was just the one, you know, you're a kid. You're just kind of along for the ride at that point. Right. So you're about you're 11 in California. Finally, yes. yeah. And I think my life's going to be for the better, right? It's sunny California, and it's warm all the time. And that guy, he's not there. And my mom is like fun, and she's gritty, and she's so much more involved with my life. And you know, and we're just hanging out and getting to know each other, and our relationship just gets wicked good, you know. And um, so I figure we've moved on, but in a very short time. My mom turns around and remarries like crazy. <laughs> just, I don't even know the guy. Just, oh, here we are. You know, we're doing this again. Um, and granted, she had never married the other guy, but she married this guy that she met on a dime. Um, he was from, his family was actually from New York. And um, he was also in the Navy, so he was stationed in California at the time. And um, there was this, this greatness about him. I mean, he's this little guy who uh, kind of looked like Radar from MASH. Right? Yeah. Right. That was his nickname. And um, he was great. Like, he was so, so involved and so happy to be part of mine and her family. You know what I mean? Very supportive. Whatever you want to do, let's work on Crystal's education. You know, let's let's make her feel as, as safe and happy as she can. And remember, at this time, I don't assume that my mom knows anything about what's gone on because I've never told her. I've just kind of followed along in this relationship because with my mom, as I would find out later, there was a lot of mental health issues going on. And that was probably the greater... Crystal, I think I've lost you. Can you hear me? Oh, no. Well, I think we've lost Crystal here, so I'm going to push pause. All right, folks, we had a pause there, an interruption, uh, but this is going to be the second part of this for those who get this far in the podcast. So, uh, Crystal, we were talking about your stepdad, or uh, I know you talked about the guy they called Radar in California. 
And so yes. let's, let's pick up from there. Okay. So um, his family was really cool about her being married. They had this new grandkid because there was only two of them. And um, his sister actually was like a year or two older than me. So that was really cool. Um, but it was very short-lived. Uh, my mom had told me later on that she thought he was too clingy and he was just too nice and um, didn't understand, you know used to the abuse and the chaos constantly that anything that seemed normal to her was something that she would run away from which would become something that i would do later on it's if you see this is like this cycle this behavior that people are exposed to that they have to learn to get over you know right um so we ended up back in indiana and she ended up back with the same guy and uh things continued for a couple more years until i was 13 and um i got put in a community hospital because I attempted to commit suicide. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So at this point, I had hit kind of this dark. I couldn't tell nobody. I didn't want to tell my mom because I felt like my mom was already mentally fragile. She was going through all this other stuff with her own mental health. She was on these medications, seeing these psychiatrists. And part of me didn't want to be drugged into her chaos as well and become part of that crutch that she used to make all these poor decisions. Um, so I kept it silent. But one of my uh, friends reported it to my mom, and my mom reported it to a psychiatrist who had me put in. And I was there for a few weeks, and my dad come and picked me up. Him and my grandfather both drove down from North Carolina to um, come get me. Um, and then I never said anything to my dad. My dad just wanted to know why I felt like that was something I had to do, um, why I felt like I was at that point in my life, you know. And we, we didn't talk about it. He was just like, we're just going to get her out of there and that is what it is um but prior to that I had been in deep contemplative prayer and going to church um with some friends who that was really kind of my outlet you know the church buses were really big back in the the early what was it the, the late 80s for the most part early 90s um it was this like big boom of of uh of a push to have these kids get in church, get them off the streets because where I lived, it was total chaos all the time. Anyways, it's violent. You know, there were gangs. Um, I was one of six white kids in an all black school. Um, so anything that I could do to just stay as far away from home, as far away from my community as I could, I did. Mm. And so I ended up on a church bus one day, um, not long before. And, and this is where there's this dip. There's this dip where, I had been contemplating suicide before, um, and I didn't have a relationship with Christ at that point. I didn't really know. Like, my mom had taken me to and from church. She was she went to a Lutheran church. My dad had taken me to a Baptist church. But that dynamic and having that relationship at that age just isn't there. You're more, because you're young, you know, this is middle school we're talking about. Right. You're more about hanging out with your friends and figuring out where you belong in the world. And then you add trauma, you know, and a lot of things going on at home and suddenly you don't have a place anywhere in any way shape or form you know right and so i was like well i'll go do this because this is what all the other kids do and so um i went to a big huge baptist church in hammond and um i remember it distinctly because it was so big and there were so many people and it, there was so much going on and it had like the first floor and a mezzanine and a balcony and I was like, wow, I've never been any place this huge. What's going on? Yeah. And so it seemed almost like you were going to a concert when you went to this church, you know. Right. And um, I don't know what happened. The preacher was talking, and I had 
I was hitting my low just as I was sitting there listening to him. He was saying some things that really resonated with me. I felt lost and I felt hurt and I felt abandoned and I felt alone. And I felt like I'd been searching for this great thing that I thought was supposed to be this relationship with my parents and this life that I was supposed to have that was supposed to be normal like everybody else's and not what it was. Um, and I was like, I don't know. I was the next thing I know I'm floating down to be saved. Yeah. So that was, that was really a changing point for me where, where I'd, I had started losing hope and, um, and then I had gained my hope back, but it's kind of like, no, all good things must come to an end. Right. You know, I come home from church that day. I had told my mom I had been saved. My mom freaked out because I wasn't, you know, being, uh, she didn't understand. It was, you're not a Lutheran. What did you do? Why did you just let them baptize you like that? And I'm like, you let me go to church. I mean, what was I going to do? <laughs> you know what I mean? I was there by myself right. with my friends, you know. Right. Um, and at this point, her boyfriend became a bit more threatening. He mm. And my mom had this conversation about now, again. This is more. this is the original boyfriend. Yes, that you had had the issues, and, and that's a kind way of putting it. Before, it's mm-hmm. uh, it's this same guy. I just want to make that clear. Yes, yes, it's the same guy. Same stuff still going on. Okay, it, it, it was nonstop until I was about fourteen and a half years old, mm. and um, um, like I said, we we had come back from church, and he had actually said well, she's not going to church anymore. In fact, we're probably not going to let her leave the house if people are just going to take advantage of her like this. And so I was, while I had this freedom and my life was looking up and I had this hope, I did have my Bible, which my mom had actually given to me one Christmas when I was younger. And I started reading it more. Like I just started at the beginning and my goal was to work my way to the end. And when I was finished, go back and read it again. And so that's how I started, you know. Right. And I hit the point where, and this was, it was weird how everything had worked out. I hit the point where I was finally reading the book of Job. That's like to where I had gotten. And um, it was no church. I wasn't allowed out of the house. Um, if I did go out of the house, I had to have adult supervision with me. And like my mom or her boyfriend had to be there. And mostly it was he had to be there. Um, when it came to any anything at all, school functions, he had to be right there. And again, that's a control thing. It's it's I don't want the secret being told, but at the same time, I don't want this 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 uh, property of mine to be taken either. Mm. You know. So my hope that had been there in the Bible while I was reading, and, and the day that I got saved was slowly dwindling. It was be, it was getting darker and darker and darker. And um, I read the Book of Job, but I hadn't got to the point where you know, Job's whole family had been murdered or anything. I had been distracted with school and things like that. I was young. I was a kid, you know. Right. So I didn't read it religiously, but I did read it, you know, when I when I got lost. I thought Job was pretty cool because it was a friend of God, and he had everything, and God had given him everything because he was so faithful. And that's kind of where I had stopped off at the story. Like, I hadn't reached the rest of the story yet. Right, right. <laughs> you know? So, so I'm like, okay, so, you know, so God gives to those who are faithful and believe. And so I prayed every night, and... And, you know, and I just kept my eyes on the prize. And then um, I stopped reading. And about, like I said, the time I turned 13 and a half, I had just given up. And um, I hadn't, I had, I had attempted, I had a few marks on my wrist. But as most people know, if or it's said in, in the psychiatric field, that if they want to, they will. You know, if you want to kill yourself, you will. You'll find a way to do it. For me, it was a cry for help, most definitely, because I didn't want to hurt myself. I knew my life 
could be greater, but I didn't know what to do and mm. I didn't want to be here and I didn't want to exist anymore. And that's how I ended up at the Institute later on. Mm. So flash forward back to my dad takes me and I move in with my mom, my stepmom and my dad. I mean, and, um, my stepmom still doesn't understand. I'm, I'm troubled. I'm a troubled child. I don't talk. I don't want to leave the house. I don't trust anybody. Um, I'm a rebellious, um, not, I'm not a bad kid. I don't intentionally go around hurting people or breaking things or anything. Um, but my stepmom had this issue where if anything went wrong in the house, it was my fault. If something broke in the house, it was my fault. Um, we had times where when I had been younger, this woman would brush my hair and then she would, you know, if I didn't still because she was so aggressive and I had really long hair, she would beat me with the brush, you know. And so for her, I didn't tell her anything either. You know what I mean? And right. it was one of those, oh, well, Crystal's back, and now we've got this troubled child, and I don't really want her here. And, you know, it's either, you know, you or her have to go. Somebody's, something's got to give, or I'm going to leave. And so I was, I was blamed for a lot. And then one time um, when I was 14, and I remember distinctly, um, she had we had this poster on the wall and it's a hot Carolina day and you know, the glue was coming off the tape that was used to tape to the wall. And I had just asked literally a day prior about, could we change posters? You know, cause I'm a teenager and I like these, you know, these guys from the TV shows, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> and she's no. And the next day the poster fell off the wall and I promise you, I did not pull it off, but she thinks I did. And she got a little, a little overzealous in her punishment, and she choked me out. Mm. She, yeah. What a bit. She choked you out? She choked me out. I literally passed out on the floor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you figure, here I am, I live with my mom, and I have one situation, right? Right. And then I live with my dad, and when my dad's not around, I have this other situation. And I'm not talking to either one of them about any of it, because... I come from a generation of your parents are your parents and you just shut your mouth and you do what you're told. You know, there's no arguing. There's no, this is not okay. There's no, no rising up. You know what I mean? And, and saying this is you keep your mouth shut because, you know, in essence, you're just a little ant and you're insignificant, you know, and I, and maybe that's not how it is in every household, but in both of mine, that's pretty much what it was. Yeah. I was insignificant, so I kept my mouth shut and I never said a word about anything. Wow. Um, yeah. And that's really hard because, you know, you go to church every Sunday with your mom, your stepmom, and she's this person, and then behind closed doors, she's not. But you don't say anything because you don't want to ruin that image because there's a certain amount of respect that you give. And then at the same time, there's that relationship that I had started developing with Christ because I knew when my dad had come to get me, I didn't even know that my dad knew. Like, I didn't know how anything, any of that happened. They called my dad. I didn't even know my dad's number. That institute had called my dad and said, hey, your kid is here. We just need to get her out of this situation. I think she'll be fine if she can get away. Um, because, of course, with my mom, everything was volatile all the time. And they, I guess they felt that this was not helping that I could do better if I wasn't there. And I had uh, many times my grades with my mom um, were always low, but with my dad, my stepmom was really a real stickler about education. And she did put in, I like she had her good and good and bad. Um, and she's a stickler about education. So my grades would go up. Um, I was still really shy and kept to myself. I hated going outside. I hated being around people. Um, but in my life was different and they had noticed this, I guess when they had seen my grades. And so, um, there, there's just a lot. Like I can go on and on. So let me. So your so your stepmom though was the typical. 
I mean, you know, a decent lady in some ways, but but basically one one way at church and another way behind closed doors, kind of a thing. Is that yes. is that would that be fair? Yeah. Yes, that would be fair. That so, would be fair. So how do we get now? This is, you know, I think a lot of people that listen to this will will identify with the trauma. You know, people went through a lot of trauma because you have, you've got some dysfunction, obviously. But how did you get? How did you get from the dysfunction to ending up having a family of your? Give us a little bit of a of a bird's eye view of the connection between because the Lord started working in your life and you went from this dysfunction to really having a good family and a good life and things going. I mean, nobody has a perfect life, obviously, but right, but things. I mean, for all practical purposes, totally normal, especially compared to what what you come from. Does that be fair? Yes, yes. It was a lot of a lot of Bible reading and a lot of proper decision making. Um, I had luckily a lot of good side influences at those times that I did have that freedom before it was snatched away from me, where I got to um, experience some good in families that normalcy where people stand up for each other. Um, and a lot of those families are biblical, you know, um, that was, that was the thing. It was, you know, God's going to provide, God will look out for you. Um, it was, it was always God, God, God. And so I got further, like I said, I had gone away from the Bible. I got further back in it. And I finally read that story about Job. Like I finally finished it years later. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. (laughs) You know, after that fall away, I finally finished it. I was like, wow, you know, he had been given everything, but then he had also had it all taken away and, and it wasn't easy. And he, you know, he had lost his family and he had lost his land and he had, you know, and, and there was this one point and I remember, and I can't remember the verse exactly, but I remember where he was, he's saying, you know, uh, the devil saying, yeah, you know, he's going to tell you, he don't, he don't want to be, you know, he don't believe in you. That's the whole point of this. And Job never lost his faith, not one time. And I felt like such a jerk at that point, like here I am, I'm introspecting. I'm not even thinking about my personal situation. I'm not thinking about my life with my, you know, or with my mom. I'm not thinking about my life with my dad. I'm not thinking about my, my relationship with my parents. For some reason, at you know, and this was around around 15, 16 years old. It was. I don't have a relationship with God like I thought I did when I got saved. Like I thought it was just supposed to be handed to you. Like right. here. You know, now you believe, now you've been saved, and now he's going to do everything for you. I'm like, no, this is work. Right. This is a lot of work. It's a walk. You know? Yeah. So yes. you go. So you go off to this to this girls' institute. Is this correct? It's, it was to, to it. Well, it's a, it was a psychiatric institute for all people. Okay. But I was on the floor with the teenagers. <laughs> okay. Now, now, how long were you there before you kind of you get out of there and then things start straightening out? Correct or no? No. No, okay. actually, where I moved in with my dad, I ended up moving back to Indiana. My mom was still with the same guy, but this is where it changed. Okay. See, while I was with my dad, after my mom had, my stepmom had choked me out, she had gone and told my family about it, and her and my, my dad got into an argument, and my stepmom ended up leaving for a while. So while my dad was busy in California trying to chase down his family who had moved away, I got placed with my aunt. And so when I was placed with my aunt, um, I was... It, we had a lot of responsibility, and my cousin and I had a, had a lot of stuff that we had to deal with on a regular basis. And um, and so I got to spend a lot more time with my aunt and uncle who lived across the street who were always at church. And uh, luckily my grandfather too. So a lot of hope came in, and I would hear my aunt talking about God often. Um, so she's a, really, 
Go ahead. Okay, I'm sorry. She, so she's a pretty godly lady. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. So it's going to sound odd, but her and her family, they're Mormon. Okay. And so while I never went to the Mormon church at that point, um, I, I always wondered what it, what it was like because see, while my aunt's house, my aunt that I lived with, why that was some chaos, you know, my aunt and my uncle and my grandfather lived across the street from my dad's sister. And so, um, it, it was, there was one, one lifestyle there with my aunt that I was living with. And there was another family going on across the street, literally. And so I got to see what it was like when people really came together as family. They were just happy and get along. And I noticed my dad and my stepmom and my aunt and my uncle that I lived with did not like my aunt. My, my, did not like my aunt across, across the street. I'm gonna call her Sam. Okay. But that's not her name, okay? Okay. <laughs> so my Aunt Sam and my Uncle Sim, I'm going to call him Sim. Um, that's not his name either. <laughs> <laughs> but my Aunt Sam and my Uncle Sim were just, their kids, their relationship with their kids was wonderful. They, with my, my other aunt and uncle, it was, oh, they're spoiled, oh, they're brats, oh, those people are crazy. But with my, you know, my Aunt Sam and my Uncle Sim, it was happy, happy all the time. And I could see why my grandpa loved living with them because they were just happy people. And so um, I would catch them a lot in prayer when I'd walk over there to go visit. Um, I was really encouraged at this point with my aunt to get out of the house and go do something or she would beat my tail herself. It was not a fun ride with her either. Um, but she definitely encouraged me to get out. Just even if you want to go see your aunt and uncle, go across the street, get out of my hair, you're getting my nerves. Um so I'd go over there and sometimes they'd have the missionaries over there and they'd be talking and, um, uh, sometimes, you know, they'd have dinners with them and there's, they had these Monday night studies that they go with those Mondays, Monday night family nights where they only did stuff with the family. They turned off the TV, they ate dinner, they played, they prayed, they sang, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I got to experience those. And so there was this positivity in me where I was like, no, I need to get back into reading my Bible. Like I need to, I need to do something because I'm not, I'm not here. I want to be what this is. Right. But at that point where I was 14, I didn't know that's what that was. Right. I just knew that I wanted to emulate what they were doing. And I thought maybe if they, I could emulate what they were doing, then I could reach that normalcy myself. I didn't learn until later that it was their faith. It was their faith that made them what they were. And it was their love for their family and their trust for each other. And the, the amount of work it took for them to keep their relationship with God and, you know, their family that made the difference. Right. And you probably at that age did not really understand, uh, most don't anyway, that the difference between Mormonism and, you know, Baptist, let's say. Yeah, uh, no. Yeah. Mm-mm, no, right. all I know is they said, they, would tell you, they went to that weird church. That weird <laughs> yeah. church. Right. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. All I know is that these people are great. And there was always so much love and safety yeah. I felt with them. Right. So right. there was, there was that, that is what got me to where I am today. There, there was, it was examples like that. It was when I went moved, um, cause I lived with my aunt till I was 14. And the part of the deal of my dad and my stepmom getting back together was I was not allowed to be in the picture. And so my dad sent me back to my mom Okay. and she was li- still living with that man at that time. But I had found something in myself. I had learned that I might not have family with my mom. I might be isolated, but that if I just found the right people who, who believed like me and who loved like I did, I would find protection somewhere. And I did, but it started with being at home. I would read my Bible. Um, I tell my mom, I want to go to church. Um, and because I wanted to find those people, but I, I didn't want 
to tell those secrets either because this right now is still a hard conversation to have. It's easier because I'm older, but it wasn't when I was younger. Absolutely. Right. You know. Right. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you you telling that, uh, you know, because it is, like you said, it's it never gets easy, especially when you're the one that has lived it. It's easy to hear it and say, oh, it's somebody that's been Mm -hmm. went through some trauma but when you are that little girl and you're in your room and won't speak but then you you have these influences you get a little older and then because because that starts changing your life and i'm assuming at some point later on here you meet your husband and things because at that point god's really working in your life and in in some ways he is but again i'm a teenager so i'm still gonna do what i want to do because we all go through that phase right um so what ended up happening is, you know, I, I I did I did go to church regular, um, and I hung out with I hung out with my friends who back in the day I had protected around, um, and so I had um, at this point there, they came a point where the man got busted for what he was doing, um, and I'm, I'm I think about it now, knowing what I know and and knowing what happened back then doesn't make any sense. But he had grabbed my bottom in front of my mom. And at that point, I don't think my mom could kind of like sugarcoat or hide what was going on, whether I said anything or not. I felt, I feel like for her, that was justification enough to get out of the relationship, finally. But again, remember, we talked about what we find out later on. Right. And that kind of changes the whole game. Yeah. And so um, they split up. And at this point, my mom, you know, she moves and she gets this roommate. And again... (laughs) Hey, buddy. I have my grandson. I'm sorry. You're good. You're good. <laughs> um, we're sitting here looking out the window. Um, but uh, at this point, you know, she's got a roommate who uh, who's not as God-fearing, but he believes that there's something out there, and we have these constant conversations. So um, we, I get more in-depth into the Bible, and I read a lot more. But I'm still living my life as a teenager, doing stupid stuff, hanging out with stupid people, making stupid mistakes. Um, but I'm actually – Finally getting to experience some sort of safety and normalcy, or so I thought, because you have to figure here. So the man ended up in jail for a little while, um, but there was this time where I was supposed to go to court, and I didn't get to go to court because the lawyer told my mother that um, it would be traumatizing for me to testify for myself. And so I never knew what happened in that courtroom that day. All I know is I'm free of this dude, and I can live a life, you know. But later on, um, he would stalk me. And once he got out of prison, I was 16. I mean, he was only really there for like a year and a half. He got out on good behavior. Um, He would stalk the house. And what I didn't know then is that my mom had this arrangement with him um, that it was, you know, she would continue to receive financial help from him in whatever way he could. But I guess I was part of the bargain. So while he couldn't come in the house, he would stand at like my window and look in the window. And I always kept my blinds closed because I always felt like someone was staring at me. Um, which the crazy thing is now that I'm older and I'm grown, I keep my windows wide open all the time because I'm not afraid anymore. I don't have to be, you know? Yeah. So, um, anyways, so I find that out and I move back to my dad's and here's where I have this, this time where, you know, my stepmom gets me a job. I get my first job at a Wendy's, which is great. Um, she's going to church twice a day. She goes in the morning to one church and then she goes in the afternoon to this different church. And so, you know, constantly involved in church and mine and her relationship got better because I was really involved with my siblings and I wanted to stay so bad. I couldn't stand it. And I think for her, it was her way of trying to make amends with me. And so I got to stay with my dad and I stayed there until I was 18 years old. And then I moved out again and moved back with my mom who the guy by then, had moved on, living whatever life he was living at that point, and 
you know, I moved back in with my mom and um, I find out I, because I have more understanding. My mom has issues and I'm talking mad, mad psychological issues that will never, ever be fixed. There's just something about her. She had borderline personality disorder. Um, she told me, you know, one time she was, she had some epi- uh, not epi- schizophrenia going on. She was part of these programs where there's kind of like these halfway houses where she has to, she, she lives with, with me, but she has to attend these, um, these therapy sessions and stuff real regular. And she's going quite frequently. And I'm not sure what happened in that time frame that I wasn't there. All I know is that I finally understood the problem with my mom and all that chaos was that she was mentally unstable and there was just no getting it right. There's personality order disorders are so hard on families because they're not, it's not just pop pill in your mouth and it's a fix. Yeah. That's not how that works. You well, know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think if anybody hears this, one of the messages can get across is, uh, just hearing your life and the complication and the drama of all of it, if I can, for lack of a better word, is just how serious mental illness really is. I, I don't think I don't think we, and it's and it's so hard to even talk about and tackle because no one has all those answers. I mean, it's just yeah. very very hard. But go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Well, you had to figure. You know, mental illness itself is a is a relatively new study. I mean, it started. Up- 1960s with opioids that were used, you know, housewives who were having issues with their husbands who had come back from Vietnam who also were, you know, on opioids because they had experienced so much. So there's this constant misconception and misunderstanding of, you know, what what psychology was at that time. And even then, you got to figure in the 90s, it still wasn't where it is today. You know, there's been a real push in the last 10 years or so. So it's definitely, for me, growing up, it was just a nightmare because there was no help. Right, right. You know, and there was really no no word for it because I'm part of that. While I was born in the 80s, I was still part of that 60s, 70s, you know, generation of you don't talk about it. Right, right. And so you you move, you said you you, you stay with your dad till you're 18. You move back for your mom for a little while. And then I'm assuming at that point, then you probably, because you and your husband have been married now for a pretty good while, yes? Yes. Yes. So I ended up, um, I ended up getting pregnant at 19. Um, I got with a guy who was on drugs and, um, I wasn't one of those kids that did drugs. I I had, like I said, I had my firm eyes on God. I was like, I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. I have this freedom now. Um, I moved out on my own. I finally understood my mom. So I thought I did. Um, I was finally in a position where I could just do what I wanted. I probably did what I wanted just a little too fast. Right. Right. (laughs) And I ended up with my daughter. And uh, the guy I was dating at the time was really abusive, and um, he was, you know, physically abusive. And so, um, and and I didn't know he was on drugs. Like, we hung out with the same ridiculous crowd, but I had put a stop to it well before I ever got pregnant, you know. Right. Um, but I just knew the guy, and I figured, well, he maybe he was on the same path as me, and he was older. And I thought that, well, maybe if he's older, then he'll be more mature. And understand, you know, his things, right? And and want to be part of a family, and it just wasn't so. I right. mean, the guy drug me down a flight of stairs while I was pregnant. You know? Oh wow, man! Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so later on, I got pregnant again, and at this point, I'm actually so I'm kind of in the process of being homeless, and there's this guy next door. Um, <laughs> paper, uh, there's this guy next door to the guy who I'm staying at house. 
and we were having Bible studies, and this is where everything takes off. Like, it just takes off. So he was introducing me to the, the Bible in a way I hadn't known. Um, <laughs> That's a great baby. He is unhappy. Yes, he's four months old. He's my oldest daughter's son. Yeah. Big blue eyes and a happy, simply face. Well, good. He is fussy right now. And so you meet this guy's introducing you to the Bible in a deeper way. Yes. We had, and I'm not talking weekly Bible study. I'm talking we had nightly. Because I wasn't in a good situation in the house I was staying in, and I needed to have it if I wanted I knew if I wanted to keep my daughter. So I got distracted and hung out with this. And we watched it daily, daily. And I started seeing things from a perspective that have ever, ever seen. Bless his heart. Perspective that I had never thought of before. And um that was where I was like, I need to go home. I need to call my dad. I need to go back. Um I'm pregnant again. I need to get my life right. I'm not on the right path at all. You know. And it was the best best thing I ever did for myself because I was about to get in a lot of trouble with these people really quickly. So I ended up back in North Carolina, and um, I started going to school. And then um, I was doing federal work study in the library, and this is where the Internet was, like, slowly sleeping out of the chat rooms and going into the social medias. And so my last bit of a, the chat room, um, I met my husband in a Yahoo chat room, actually. Wow. And he lived across the state, but he still lived in the state, and we just headed off. And um, I was, how old was I at the time? I had my son when I was 21, and um, I met him when I was like 21 and a half, and we have been together ever since. Wow, wow. Yeah. And that is just a story and a half, and uh, and really have had, a. I mean, obviously ups and downs in your life, but really had a lot more normalcy as an adult than you have as a child. Mm-hmm. And you really attribute that to the Lord working in your life, yes? Oh, absolutely. Yes, really. yes. Because I didn't, so I didn't understand it. You know, you get to a point, especially when you're newer in your in your faith, where you think things should be handed to you because you're just believing because that's kind of how it's taught in some ways. And I feel like sometimes we neglect to really teach that, no, it's it's work. It's, it's you know, it's it, the biggest thing is with the one church that I've been to where the preacher, um, he constantly said, you know, faith without works is dead. Right. So if you're not willing to work and it's not just being a nice person or being a good person, it's really keeping that that faith and that hope. But if I hadn't found it when I was 13, I wouldn't be where I am today. Amen. Because it was always there in the back of my mind that that's what kept me going. That's what that's what kept me moving forward. That's what kept me trying to establish these relationships with my family. Um, And uh, that's what kept me moving along. You yeah. Know. Well, Crystal, I, I appreciate you so much letting me interview you. You know, one of the things that I'm listening to you, you know, there's several things that jump out. One thing is, is how serious and complicated a, a childhood trauma can be and how it really never leaves you, as you well know. Um, and, and then also how that God works in our lives, um, even though we complicate him. You know, you said yourself, hey, I made some decisions and did some things that, you know, trying to live my own life, uh, even, you know, then you had to start. But just just seeing the scenario there 
of how you went from where you were at to how the Lord just worked. And, you know, if I, and folks that are listening, if I could just say this to people who will tune in, you know, I think sometimes people think if their testimony is not like somebody else's. And here is Crystal's that, and I think Crystal, you'd agree with this, it's complicated. Your life's been a little complicated. Uh, and, and that's one reason I want you to, exactly. And I'll say this, folks, and she's, she'll tell you this there's a lot more detail to this and a lot more to this and um so i I sure appreciate you coming on chapel chimes we thank you so much and this has just been great and what would you say to somebody that's listening just to encourage and maybe they've went through some of the things you've went through just kind of sum up here as we close what would be some things that you would just say hey to maybe encourage somebody that'll hear this well, when I was a substitute teacher, I would tell the kids that I work What's most important is that your parents raise you. They do. Um, they raise you, and you can't always argue about your situation. You can't change it. But how you perceive it can change how you live the rest of your life when you're finally able to leave. And I think that's, like, the most important thing is knowing that you can change your situation later, but not to lose hope in the meantime because, I mean, you're a kid. You can't, you can't do things on your own. But just keep the faith and keep your eye on the fact that when you grow up, you don't have to live that life. And that doesn't have to be your life. Amen. You don't have to perpetuate that cycle and madness. That your freedom is just just over the bridge. If you were willing to just ride that train over it as bumpy as it is until you get to the end of it. Better days are coming. Absolutely. Better 100%. Day. I cannot stress that enough. Absolutely. Better days will come. Crystal, thank you. I'm going to let you go now and kind of sum up here in the Cook's Chapel, the Chapel Chime Studios. Thank you so much, and you give you you give us grandbabies a kiss and a hug, and we thank you so so much for joining us here on Chapel Chimes. God bless you. You too. Thank you so much for having me. All God bless you. Uh huh. Take care. Thank you. Uh huh. Bye bye. Bye bye. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you've heard uh, Crystal. Uh, Crystal is uh, Crystal Bledsoe. She lives in North Carolina. My wife and I met her, and you've heard her story. Uh, it's very interesting. There's a lot to it, lots she did not share. Uh, and she's in a godly family and home now and just doing great. And it's just a, uh, an amazing thing to see the complications and how that uh, one thing that really struck me in her story was, you know, as Baptists, we don't believe Mormon doctrine at all. But because the Mormons had a uh, that family had a stable home life, which we which we hold to as as Bible believing people. Uh, so it shows you that biblical principles, if they are held to, uh, there's just so much that in that story. I hope it's been an encouragement to you, and maybe you've went through some trauma and trials, or maybe you just want to get a heart for people. Maybe you listen to this and man, I didn't realize people went through some of these things. I meet people like this all the time that have just story after story. And every one of them are, are a blessing, and God loves them. And let me say, if you're listening today, God loves you. Well, we want to pray and close. Hopefully, you'll share, like, and get this word out of this unique episode of Chapel Chimes. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless and help. We love you, and thank you, Lord, now for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Chapel Chimes.